I want us just to turn this morning, the first place we're going to turn to, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and this morning I want to uh, just continue with this series. There may be one, one or two more messages that will come out of this series. There could be a lot of things that we could talk about, but this morning I want to talk to you about taking out the trash of unforgiveness. Uh, taking out the trash of unforgiveness. A uh, few weeks ago, uh, Lance Armstrong came clean, so to speak. Um, it was something that had already, people knew was coming, they knew uh, all about it, <clears throat> and of course he had always sort of uh, been under a cloud of suspicion as remarkably, and I remember when he was doing this, remarkably, uh, he won seven straight Tour de France uh, races. And I remember when, when it was taking place, I was just, I was absolutely in awe. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I don't watch cycling of any kind. But that was one of those things where here in the nation, all of a sudden, it became this big thing. And you know, you turned on the TV every now and then just to see if he won a new stage of the race and, and the next stage, and then finally winning overall. And as he aired the dirty laundry to Oprah, uh, there was that sense in which you thought he was somehow seeking some kind of forgiveness. And yet there was also some sense of, and I didn't see the whole interview, I saw a lot of it, but but there was also that sense in which you, you kind of got the idea that he was trying to just sort of hopefully appeal to the better graces of a nation that is really terribly forgiving, incredibly forgiving, if you just tell them what's happening. And you kind of got the sense that he was more telling of what was happening and what had happened as opposed to, I am so sorry that it went, that I'm so sorry for what I did, I'm sorry for how, and, and there was not that great sense of that. But what stuck out more than anything else is some of the news commentators pulled in individuals that he had essentially hurt and stepped on to get to that point. And individuals that seemed to, during the time that it might have been happening and during the time where he was taking these performance enhancing drugs and these having these blood transfusions and all of these things to try to keep up his strength to be able to handle the grueling grueling race that he was a part of uh, in that great race that that is cycled and uh, you you what was more tragic in all of that uh, was, when all of a sudden the news commentators cut to individuals, some of these individuals that he had stepped on, and someone who had been a close friend of his, his friend and cyclist, uh, along with his wife, they had been a part of, of uh, Lance Armstrong's life as they broke away to this woman, especially this wife of the, the friend who had been on the cycling team, and how it was that Lance had just kind of pushed them aside and, uh, and, and badmouthed them and done all kinds of things. As I, I heard this woman talk, as I heard her speak about what had taken place, she was so angry 
and so bitter at what had taken place years ago. And of course, all of this talk had dredged those feelings to the surface and brought them up. And as she spoke, she spoke so angrily and so bitter and was so, so frustrated with how things were. I began to look and think about the forgiveness that God has given to all of us. And see, this message today, we will have to also try to understand, and we'll get to that in, in just a few moments, but we have to try to set it against the forgiveness that God has given to all of us. Because if we as believers don't learn to forgive others, then we are walking into a very dangerous, dangerous place in our own Christian lives. It was tragic to me as I saw this woman so bitter and so angry at Lance Armstrong. One man, yes, he had, he had ruined their lives. They had brought, in many respects, some financial ruin to them as well. They could not benefit from the success that he had or the success that her husband could have had in the cycling world. He essentially brought them down and there was just nothing but bitterness. You didn't get the sense that there was this willingness to forgive. There was this willingness to do that. One of the most difficult things for you and I to do is to forgive the offense of another. To forgive what somebody did to you years ago. We often talk about the past as though it had somehow happened yesterday. We talk about things that people did to us, that people have done to us in the past as if they were right there and that it had happened just moments ago. We, we carry that with us, and yet one of the things that we have to remember is that unforgiveness does nothing to the individual that you fail to forgive. Heard somebody say that unforgiveness, you, when, you, uh, uh, when you don't forgive another, it's like you drinking rat poison and then staring at the rat waiting for it to die. That's essentially the effect that it has. Somebody else said that, that unforgiveness... When you don't forgive, you essentially incarcerate yourself. You put yourself in prison. You don't do anything to that other person. It's you. Unforgiveness, brothers and sisters, has deadly effects upon the individual who fails to forgive, who refuses to forgive. It's not the person who wronged you. It's not the individual who has said something, who has done something. It's you. What I love about the Scriptures, and I mentioned this last week as I preached on the subject of second chances, and we talked about individuals who had been forgiven, is that when you read through Scripture, you don't find a great many examples of individuals who did not forgive, or uh, you don't find a lot of examples of individuals who, when they cried out for forgiveness, that they did not receive it. You find examples of forgiven people. The Bible is full of forgiven people. And I believe with all my heart as Christians, we need to learn how to forgive and forgive one another. We need to learn to be forgivers. 
If we have been shown mercy, we should be the most merciful people in the world. And yet sometimes, as Christians, we are the most cantankerous, we are the most frustrated, we're the most angry and the most bitter. Why should we be that way when God has done so very much for us? Today I want to give you, and we're going to take out the trash of unforgiveness. And I believe with all my heart today that God is going to help us. He has to help us. We need to trust in Him for His help to do this. But there are four reasons why unforgiveness is so absolutely dangerous. And I want you to get this, and I hope that this one point, this first point, hits your heart the way that it hit mine. And when I began to read about it and I studied on it and I I saw the verses of Scripture that it became so plain to me how absolutely deadly in your Christian life and in my Christian life unforgiveness will be. It's, It's incredible as I see what God has revealed through the Word of God. But the first dangerous thing, the first reason why unforgiveness is so dangerous is that unforgiveness is a sign that we think the blood of Jesus isn't enough. Let me say that again, because I want you to get it. If you're writing it down, write it down. Unforgiveness is a sign that we think the blood of Jesus isn't enough. And let me just say right here and there, the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary is enough. It absolutely is enough for everybody, but unforgiveness is a sign that we think the blood wasn't enough. Say, Pastor, how can you possibly say that? I believe that our refusal to forgive is equivalent to saying, Jesus, the blood you shed on Calvary just wasn't quite enough for me to be able to forgive the offense of my brother or sister. And that, brothers and sisters, is a very dangerous place to be. If the blood that was shed on Calvary was enough to cleanse the filthy wickedness of your soul, and yet you refuse to forgive the sin or offense of someone else, what more can be required to take away the offense? What more do you want? Have you ever said to somebody, what do you want? Blood? You know, you get, you get into that kind of thing. Maybe a friend, somebody who has hurt you, somebody. You know, you're in an argument, you're whatever. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And we kind of go those directions. I want to tell you, no, blood is not required of you anymore because the blood that was shed on Calvary is enough to take away your sin. It's enough to forgive you of your sin. And it ought to be enough for you then to turn and be able to forgive somebody who has hurt you. When you think about the cross, what do you imagine? When we read about it and its description, We read about all the things that were said to Jesus, that were said about him as we stood, as as people stood at the cross, they mocked him. Ah, you think you're the son of God while you come down. What was one of the famous seven sayings of the cross? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We sometimes say things so glibly, 
And I'm not excusing anybody who has the intent to hurt. If you come into this building on any given Sunday or any Tuesday or any time and in conversation, it is your intent to hurt another, you need to seek forgiveness. If you intend to reach out and extend a hand of vengeance towards somebody, you need to repent at the altar. You need to come with weeping and tears and say, God, forgive me because you didn't require that of me. You didn't come to this earth to judge me. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And yet we are so quick to condemn another, so quick to say things that will somehow bring them down. But brothers, and sisters, I want to tell you today that unforgiveness, there can be nothing else given after the blood of Jesus. Listen to Ephesians. Are you there? Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, and then I'm going to read a verse of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 9. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says this, in him, We have redemption through his blood. Now listen to this. The forgiveness of sins. Why? Because of the blood. The blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary has opened up the way for you to be forgiven. No matter what you have done, no matter how bad you have been, no matter how things have gone, the blood of Jesus can cleanse you and purify you of all sin. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That is the grace that shows us His unmerited favor. It is that grace that you don't deserve. It is that grace that is given that you and I cannot earn. We can't do anything to bring ourselves into a position of forgiveness. There is nothing that you can do today to bring yourself to that. Now, when somebody offends you and they come to you seeking forgiveness, and you as a child of God who have come to an altar of repentance and you have sought forgiveness from God and God has so willingly and readily given it to you, you then turn around and refuse to give it to somebody else. You are essentially saying, Lord, the blood that you shed on Calvary is not enough for my sin and it's not enough for their sin. But my Bible says it is enough. The Bible says that it absolutely is enough. Do not look at God and say, God, I'm sorry, I just cannot forgive that person for what they did. Oh, yes, you can. Why? Because Jesus forgave you of the mess of your life. He forgave you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Listen under the law how it was. We've already read about the grace of God and how it was that even in the age of grace, there was that requirement of blood. Jesus satisfied that. Jesus shed his blood. Even under the law, the Bible says this, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And listen to what it says. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
So when Jesus shed his blood, he opened up the way, the possibility, not only for us to be forgiven of our sins, but for you to be able to forgive the offense of another, to be able to forgive what that person has done to you. Now, somebody has, has also said, yes, we're to forgive, but we, we also need to use our brain. It doesn't mean that you, you, know, you necessarily open up uh, your, your life to them if they have been individuals who have not known enough to take out the trash of gossip and slander, and they've taken your business somewhere else. You don't open that up to them, but you have to forgive. We have to forgive. The danger sign is that we think the blood of Jesus isn't enough. And we have to come to the place where we recognize that His blood is absolutely sufficient not only to forgive you of your sin, but also to help you and empower you and enable you to be able to forgive somebody else. Say, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I don't need to know. I just need to know what the Bible says. We need to know what the Word says because the Word lets us know that it doesn't matter what the offense is. It doesn't matter how many times it happens. It doesn't matter what's going on. We need to learn to forgive. Now, there is another danger, dangerous thing about this, a reason that we cannot allow unforgiveness to exist. Unforgiveness is a sign that our sense of Faithfulness and justice is distorted. Why? You know what? I think one of the reasons why is we feel as though we've got to stand on our little soapbox and we are the righteous ones. That we're always in the right. That we are the ones who know how it all is supposed to fairly work out. And yet... I believe with all my heart, 1 John 1.9, it says this. Listen to what God does. And listen to what he employs of his character as he does it. The Bible says, if, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, that is true, he doesn't deny himself, doesn't go back on his word. He is faithful to his word, faithful to his character, and faithful to you. He is faithful, and guess what else? Just. How is it just that he would forgive? Faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all un. Righteousness. I want you to notice those two characteristics and the qualities of God that are involved in His forgiveness. Faithfulness, okay, that's not difficult to understand. Faithfulness is the idea of being true to somebody, the idea of being true to yourself, true to the situation, true and, and faithful to that person. God is absolutely faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His own character, His own nature, but He's faithful to you because He's provided a way for forgiveness to come to you. And when you go through that path, He says, I'll honor my Word and I will forgive. But there's something else in all of this, and it's He is just. Wait a minute. Justice has... When we think about justice being served, what do you think about? A sentence. 
I immediately think of a judge handing down a sentence to a criminal who's broken the law and deserves to have whatever sentence is given to that person carried out. And the law is the law. But God satisfied his own justice, his own sense of justice by Jesus being the one who would be sentenced to die in your place and in my place and therefore forgiveness can come and it is still just because it comes by way of the cross. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, when he says, I forgive you, he is still being just because Jesus paid the price. He paid the penalty for your sin. You don't have to pay for it. He paid for it. But as a result of that, we can't then put ourselves on a little soapbox of, of judgment when somebody comes to us seeking forgiveness and they come to us seeking forgiveness, he says, I'll think about it. I don't know. You know, you really hurt me bad. Did we not hurt Jesus? Have we not offended God? Have we not sinned against God? Have we not broken his law? There isn't anything that you could do in this life that would that, that would ever, ever overpower or, or, or be bigger than the offense that you have made toward God. There is absolutely nothing. And for us to come along and somehow think that person has to pay a price, we are absolutely distorted in our sense of faithfulness and justice. Listen, the Bible indicates that when, when faithfulness and justice are there, forgiveness can exist with it. You can forgive that individual. You can say the words, and I think we ought to, ought to practice it every now and then. I forgive you. Why don't we do it together right now, everybody? Come on, one, two, three. I forgive you. One more time. I didn't hear it loudly enough. I forgive you. That's good. That's good practice. I encourage you to practice it on a daily basis because you might need it on a daily basis. Don't allow your sense of faithfulness and truth and justice to be distorted by thinking that it's right for you to make somebody pay. It is never right for you to make them pay because Jesus already paid the price. He already paid for the sin. You and I can forgive and we can have the faithfulness and the justice of God right in the middle of that situation. Learn to forgive. I believe with all my heart we got to take out the trash of unforgiveness. If we want to be true to the Word of God, it's time to get rid of unforgiveness. There is something else in this that I want you to see, and it's this. Unforgiveness is a sign that you don't really want your prayer to be answered. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Seriously? Of course I want my prayer to be answered. Do you? Do you really? Because turn over to Mark chapter 11. If you really want your prayer to be answered, you need to learn to forgive. If you want unhindered prayer, if you want God to both hear and answer, it's time to forgive. Listen to what the Bible says, Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. 
Jesus is speaking. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, now look at the setting. You're praying. Not worried about the posture here. Stand praying, sitting, whatever. You're praying. You're in the place of prayer. But if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What he's saying here is he is saying prayer cannot be answered while you sit there and you let this this offense fester and grow and you fail to forgive something that somebody did to you, said to you, or whatever, however they might have offended you, you sit there and you let it grow, but oh God, hear my prayer. Ain't gonna happen. We need to learn. Listen to what the the psalmist said these words. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There are certain hindrances to prayer. And brothers and sisters, nothing hinders God blessing your life like you being an unforgiving saint. Nothing will hinder God coming and ministering His grace to you and His mercy to you when you then cannot turn around and you in yourself be merciful and gracious to a fellow human being who is the same as you. It's not possible. Unforgiveness is a sign that you don't really want your prayer to be answered. And I want to tell you that that, brothers and sisters, more than anything else, can so dreadfully ruin your life. I want to read a passage of Scripture. The Bible says this. Go to Matthew. I want everybody just to turn there. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. And I want to read a parable that Jesus told shortly after Peter came to Jesus and said, Peter, or said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brother? Up to seven times? Wow, that's a lot. You know, seven times. Nate, I'm keeping score. Five times. You're getting close, you know. Brother Mervin, he's got three. Check, check, check. You know, Roger, it's just check, check. That's it, seven times. Sorry, you're out. You're no longer my friend. No longer part of me. Not Nope, that's it. Peter's real big, isn't he? Verse 22, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times but 70 times, 77 times in, uh, I believe it's the book of Mark, he says 70 times 7, 490 times. And then in the book, or in, yeah, in the book of Luke, he says if somebody sins against you seven times in a day. Now, there's not many of us that have had people sin against us, the same offense, seven times in a day. Once, twice, maybe two times, they just blew it, you know? Opened their mouths, said something about you, and then turned around and did it again or whatever. A couple of times in a day, but rarely does it happen that way. Regardless of the numbers, Jesus is making a point, and it's this. You need to be a forgiving person. It doesn't, you don't have a, there's no limit. 
You don't put limitations. Oh, they did it once. They better not do it again. Ooh, I'm going to get them. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, uh, began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant listen to this, fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. He didn't say, okay, I'm giving you X amount of time. You know how the mortgage companies have been doing over the last few years. I'm going to give you this amount of time and that amount of time. No, the Bible says here that the man canceled the debt. In other words, Free and clear. You don't owe me any more money. Then the Bible says this. Verse 28. But when that servant went, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how the heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, and he adds, from your heart. Wow. We have been forgiven much. Some of you, God has rescued you from a life that was going to destroy you. Others of you, like me, grew up in a pastor's home who is just curious as all get out. And somehow, the Lord still rescued us, and he forgave us much. You see, the bottom line is sin is sin. When you give your life to sin, you're on your way to hell. But you know what? The, the brothers and sisters, the grace of God came along and canceled your debt. Wiped it out. You don't owe God anything. You don't owe Him your life anymore because Jesus paid the price on Calvary. And what Jesus is saying is this, is because I have canceled much, because I have canceled the debt for your life. Don't go around beginning to peck at some other people about how petty they are or how this they are or this bothers me about you. I got to tell you, we got to set this junk aside. It's time to take out the trash of unforgiveness and get rid of the petty nonsense because brothers and sisters, it hinders us from progressing in Christ. God has to help us. Not only that, our prayers won't be answered. This man's prayer was no longer answered. 
He begged for patience. He got a debt cancellation and then ended up in jail. Because you know why? Because he refused to exercise the same kind of patience to those who owed him. And you know what? The, the difference in the amount is, is, is so great. What he owed his master was so huge. And whatever other people owed, owed him was nothing by comparison. And he did not exercise the same forgiveness. Oh, brothers and sisters, we got to learn to be forgivers. Don't be nitpicky. Don't be, don't be petty. Don't, you know, don't just, if somebody bothers you, they might grate you the wrong way. They might just, you know, just their whole personality just might, be, might clash with yours. We need to get past the little personality conflicts and, and all the little things. And, and we need to just say, Lord Jesus, let me be willing to forgive. No, they haven't come to me for forgiveness for anything. And maybe they haven't even really done anything. Maybe they don't know they did anything to you. But we have to be willing to forgive. I don't know about you, but I think unforgiveness is one of the deadliest things that as Christians we could allow ourselves to be involved in. There is one last sign that I want you to see is this. Unforgiveness is a sign that you are resisting the work of the Spirit in your life. Unforgiveness is a sign that you're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Go over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I want you to see this. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The Bible says this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, that is that the Holy Spirit will put into you, that you can possess, that you can have, that you carry out in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Notice this, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. The idea of forgiveness is that you are kind to somebody. Kindness has to come out. We're going to see this in another verse. Just jump over to Ephesians, not far away. The book of Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians 4, chapter 4 and verse 32. Paul is now going to put it in perspective and connect kindness to forgiveness. The Bible says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, here it is, forgiving each other. And again, here is that relationship, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Remember, the amount He forgave you is so much greater than you have to forgive somebody else. But Paul says, be kind and compassionate. Forgiving one another. How do I, ask, how do I arrive at unforgiveness is you resisting the work of the Spirit. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit that wants, God wants to exhibit in your life, the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of your life, is kindness. And Paul says it is 
kindness and compassion that causes you to forgive your brother or your sister for whatever it is they might have said, they might have done, whatever offense they brought against you. It is that kindness. And at times, we want to just hold on to this bitterness and this anger and this frustration. And those are things that earlier in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, are works of the flesh. It indicates that we're resisting the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't want to resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that all of these things, peace and patience, all of that, it's all related to this. That as we, we, we give ourselves to forgiving one another, brothers and sisters, it will be proof that the Holy Spirit's working in us. But on the other side of the coin, if we fail to forgive... I think it's an indication that we're resisting the work of the Spirit. And that, brothers and sisters, you don't want to do. The more you fight the Holy Spirit, the more He will back off. The more He will withdraw. Don't fight the Holy Spirit. Don't go against Him. Because you know what the Bible reveals to us? That one of the characteristics of the qualities of the Holy Spirit and one of the things that we see in the New Testament in the Gospels when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in the form of a dove. A dove is a very gentle kind of bird. A dove is just, just other than from other birds, it's just such a very very delicate and and beautiful kind of bird, but it's gentle. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit's not going to beat you upside the head and say, will you just be kind already? He doesn't do that. He just calls to you. He draws. And you can accept it and receive it and say, Lord, you're right. I need to be kind. I need to forgive. I'm not, there's nothing about this that's easy. Don't, don't assume that because I'm preaching this, clearly, pastor, you got it all together. I don't. Clearly, pastor, it's just so easy, and it probably is easier for you. No, it's not easier for me. It's not easier for anybody, but it is possible. We are able because God has enabled us. He has paid the price. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. Turn now for the, this final scripture I want to share with you. And in fact, I, I think maybe what I want to do, we might just read the whole chapter, but this one verse of Scripture is very, very vital to what it is that I want us to see. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible says this. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Here it is in verse 5. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Somebody once said, well, I, you know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. It's not the function of your brain that you've got to eliminate. You can't do that. I, I remember what was done to me a long time ago, and I'm trying to forget it, and I can't erase it from my brain. It's not about that. It's about forgetting in the sense that you don't hold it against that person. You do not bring it against them. Now, they're the things that have happened in my past. I cannot forget. In other words, I can't, can't forget the record of it. But you've got to come to the place, we have to come to the place where we say, we will never hold it against that individual, though we have the ability, the, the physical ability to remember. We will not have the spiritual ability to remember. We will erase it from our spiritual memory. Get rid of it. It does not keep any record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things away or childish ways behind me. Now we see in a, uh, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall be fully know. I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The bottom line of forgiveness is love. It is the love of Christ coming through you. I don't know about you, but I believe that the way to beat unforgiveness is to do what the Bible says. And it's really deep. It says, forgive. It's not, you know, it, well, I, I need steps to get me there. There's only one step. Forgive. If someone has hurt you, forgive. Say, but I'm not going to go to them and say this. I'm not going to do all of that. I, I don't want to do that. I, you don't have to do that. But just be willing if they come along to you and say, I think I've hurt you. I think I've offended you. Do you forgive me? Well, hmm, not sure. No, we've got to be willing to forgive. We've got to be willing to open up and say, I'm going to exercise the same amount of forgiveness. What does the what does book of Romans say about us that... While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Paul writes, Christ died for us. While we were still against him, he died for us. Before we ever had the knowledge of who he was and what he did, he forgave us a great debt. And you're going to tell me that you can go along and be a Christian and be a believer and somehow just hold these petty little things over people's heads? You need to get over it. And we need to forgive because, brothers and sisters, if we do not, how can we potentially talk to somebody in the world about the great love and forgiveness in Christ and the great love and forgiveness found in the church? We can't. This is why it's so, so incredibly dangerous for us to, to, to hold things over somebody's head or hold things against somebody. It's because when somebody comes in and they, they've never been here before, they've got to see the love of Jesus. They've got to see how much 
He loves us as we exhibit that love for one another. I want us to bow our heads for a moment, closing moments of this meeting. Say, oh, what's pastor going to do now? Going to make us think about how we've offended somebody and how we got something against somebody and go to them. And No, not at all. Today, this is a moment that we're going to take together without any music, without anything else going on. The psalmist told us that we're to search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. And that's what we're going to do right now in our own hearts, in our own minds. Maybe there's somebody that we have had a hard time forgiving. There's someone that has offended us or hurt us in life. Say, well, pastor, am I to give them a phone call today? You should only give them a phone call if the Holy Spirit prompts you and if you know there will be a redemptive part that you can play in it. Don't call to vent. Don't call to tell them how badly they hurt you unless you can bring it to a redemptive end and move on. And brothers and sisters, with all my heart, I believe a lot of times what happens and what goes on in the church is as we just kind of, you know, we kind of think about the things that have hurt us and bothered us and all of this. All it is is our own little, you know, expectations that have been hurt. It's our pride. It's ourselves. When it all comes down to it, we've got to give our best to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be willing to forgive those who have offended me and hurt me. And at the same time, Lord, may I seek out that same kind of mercy and be humble enough to receive it. Right now, I want you to search your heart. There could be something in your life. There could be a point of unforgiveness. But in this moment together, I want us just to pray and say, Lord, come, cleanse me, purify me. Help me to forgive the way that you forgave me. We're going to pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask in this moment that you would give us forgiving hearts, that you would help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Lord, help us to be willing to forgive. God, I pray that it would just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be to us just that our pride's been hurt and therefore we've got to go tell that other person, no, Lord, if it is a true offense, if somebody has sinned against us, help us, Lord, to be willing to forgive. Lord, not seven times, but Lord, an unlimited amount of times. Lord, I pray that you would make us wise, that you would let the, the work of the Holy Spirit take root in our lives as we give ourselves to, to kindness and patience and love and gentleness and self-control. Lord, help us, Lord, not to just speak whatever comes to mind, but Lord, help us to have the self-control not to be offensive to others. Help us to, uh, to be kind and patient, Lord, regardless of what we're feeling or going through or thinking, oh God. God, help us, I pray, to be forgivers. Help us to let the work of the Spirit move within us and change us. Lord, we love you today. We need your strength and your help. 
And Father, I pray that you would touch this congregation, that you would bless them, that you would help them, Lord. Lord, if there are family members that have have done things to them, Lord, or, or whatever, Lord, I pray that you would help them to forgive. Lord, we need you. We need your forgiveness, and we need your forgiveness to work through us. We love you, Jesus. And God, we're going to give you the praise and the glory and the honor today in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus.